0: Y'all alive today? Y'all feeling good today? Across the campuses, across 12 Stone Home, we are celebrating our graduating seniors. And here's what I want you to do. Look to the person next to you and tell them what year you graduated high school. And feel super old about it. I I graduated high school in 2016. I am 22 years old and I never felt younger in my life. Really, I graduated in the year 2000, it's crazy. Now you make me feel old, Don't, ooh and ah about it. Don't make it weird for everybody. I mean we're celebrating the culmination of parents pouring in and kids growing up. Like we're celebrating the culmination of, of quizzes and, and homework and sports and clubs and driving you all over creation to finally get you to this moment and we celebrate you. And as your church family, at the end, we're going to do some meaningful things across the campuses in 12 Stone Home to pray for you graduating seniors by name over this summer because this is a massive season. But listen, if you're a parent of a graduating senior, when you look at that grown young man or young woman, can't you still see him as a little kid? Like, yeah, someone really can. Like, not, not just that they have a baby face. Like, they could be full bearded up, and they look all tough, and I'm grown, but you still see that little toddler, little elementary kid. Can't you? Like, when I look, my son, Luke, is now a freshman in high school officially starting next year, and Amber and I are like, no, I remember this, Luke. What happened? Like, they grow up so fast. See, when the culmination of a graduating senior starts all the way back, sort of in childhood. And today we're gonna have a little fun because we're in our Jesus Storybook Bible. And here's the reality. The story today is the story of Jonah. And if you have kids and you tell Bible stories, this one's a classic. Oh, I got eaten by a fish. Great story, kids love it. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have a little fun. I don't know, kids are a little messed up. We're gonna have a little fun and I've got two graduating seniors hanging out with some of our K-12 kids. Would you give it up for some of our K-12 kids here first? <clears throat> Listen, someday you are going to graduate high school. And that's terrifying if your parents are watching. And this year, you guys are graduating high. This is Kylie and Daviana. Can you say hello and thank them for being here? You guys are both athletes, both going to college. Daviana, you're going to be a nurse. Can we say thank you to her being a nurse? We need you. And, and, and Kylie, you're going into business, you're getting a business degree, and I asked her this, I, I didn't ask your permission, so I'm sorry. I said, what are you gonna do with your business degree? She like, I'm not sure, I just wanna be a boss. And I'm like, Atlanta girl, come on now. So assume that this is your first class, Daviana. like get ready for tough patience, all right? This is your first class in business, get ready to lead and be a boss over some tough people. So would you help us by reading the Jesus Storybook Bible Of Jonah for all of us and listen adults this is not just a children's story take it away
1: okay God had a job for Jonah but Jonah didn't want it go to Nineveh God said and tell your worst enemies that I love them no said Jonah they're bad people doing bad things exactly said God they have run far away from me but I can't stop loving them I will give them a new start I will forgive them No, said Jonah, they don't deserve it. I'll run away, Jonah said to himself, far away, so far away that God won't be able to find me. Then I won't have to do what God says. It's a good plan, he said, because as far as he knew, it was a good plan. But of course, it wasn't a good plan at all. It was a silly plan, because you can run away from God, but he will always come and find you. Jonah went ahead with his not very good plan. One ticket to not Nineveh, please, he said, and boarded a boat, sailing in a very opposite direction of Nineveh. Well, it wasn't long before a fierce wind blew, and the boat started to lurch and pitch and roll, and everyone started turning green. Jonah sat bolt upright in his bed. You see, the first thing that went wrong with Jonah's not very good plan was that God sent a big storm after him. The sailors couldn't sail their ship properly. We're sinking, they screamed, and started throwing everything overboard. Suitcases, food, whatever they could find. But now, Jonah knew that the storm was his fault. Throw me in, he said. He shouted to the sailors, and the storm will stop. The sailors weren't sure. It's the only way you can be saved, Jonah cried. And so, one, two, three, splash! No sooner had Jonah hit the water Then the waves grew calm, the wind died down, and the storm stopped. Just then, when Jonah thought that it was all over, when he was sure he was going to drown, God sent a big fish to rescue him. The fish swallowed Jonah whole with one big gulp. Jonah must have thought he'd died. It was so dark in there, like a tomb. But then he smelled the rotting food and felt the slimy seaweed and knew he wasn't dead. He was in the belly of the fish, sitting there in the darkness for three whole days. Jonah had plenty of time to think. Pretty soon, he realized his plan was, well, a very silly plan indeed. He was very sorry for running away. He prayed to God from inside the great fish and asked God to forgive him. After three days, the fish spat Jonah safely out onto the sandy beach. Just then, Jonah heard someone calling his name. Go to Nineveh, God said, and this time Jonah said, yes. He went straight to Nineveh and told everyone God's wonderful message. Even though you've run far from God, he can't stop loving you, Jonah told them. Run to him so he can forgive you. The people of Nineveh listened to Jonah and they started loving God. They learned to do what God said and to stop running away from him, just like Jonah. Many years later, God was going to send another messenger with the same wonderful message. Like Jonah, he would spend three days in utter darkness, but this messenger would be God's own. Son, he would be called the Word because he himself would be God's message. God's message translated into our own language. Everything God wanted to say in the whole world in a person.
0: Can we thank him? Now, guys, I, I have a quick question, all right? Has there ever been a time when you were right and your brother or sister or friend was wrong? Anybody? At, you guys have never been right before, ever? I can't remember. You can't remember if you're right? Welcome to the club. Wait till you're 40. It gets, it gets harder. You're a child. He says he's a child. You are a child. You know what? I'm gonna, let's forget the message. I just, I'm just kidding. I love you guys. Thank you. And can we thank our awesome high school graduates? Give it up. Thank you, guys. I'm gonna ask you the same question. Be, be honest. Try to remember. Has there ever been a time where you felt like I'm right and someone else was wrong? Anybody? Did it happen this morning on the way to church? Anybody? Are you sitting next to the person who you think is wrong? Anybody? Don't put your head. It's all ladies. Guys are smarter. Guys, you're like, that's entrapment. I'm not not in with that. Listen, this is where we're going. That story sounds like a children's story. Oh, contraire, it is not, my friends. Here's the overarching question we're going after today. Simply this, I'm right, you're wrong, right? Like, isn't isn't that right? Like, I'm right, and you're wrong. Listen, when you teach kids, if you're raising kids, what's your primary conversation? What's right and what's wrong? Like, that's wrong, that's right. How many times do you say that? But that is not a children's message. That's for all of us. And listen, today I think the Spirit of God wants to speak to each of us individually. And this Jonah story ain't a children's story. It's a story that I think that God wants to convict some of us and correct some things. I think this is a story God wants to encourage some of us through. And so I want to I sort of give you the, uh, the Jonah story that's not just the children's Bible story. So here's, here's some of the details I want to fill in. So you heard the children's version. Jonah, he was a prophet. But here's what you need to know about Jonah. The timeline of, of how the, you read through the Bible is not chronologically. And so the story of Jonah actually happened before what we taught the last two weeks, Isaiah and Daniel. So Jonah was a prophet in Israel before Israel was overthrown, before they were judged and destroyed, and before they were taken into captivity. So Jonah is chronologically the last story in the Old Testament before Israel was overthrown. So that's where Jonah starts. And here's what you get to see. You get to see right before Israel fell Here was the disposition of Israel. Israel thought they were right and everyone else was wrong, period. They don't have a question mark at the end. They don't have the last question, right? No, they were like, no, we're right. Everyone else is wrong. Do you know what usually precedes a fall? Your inability to see your own wrong, and all you can see is everyone else's. That's usually what precedes a fall, and indeed, that focus of Israel, the way that they saw the world was the seeds that that were planted that led to their destruction and being overthrown. So when God told Jonah, go to Nineveh, as a kid, you're like, why didn't he go? God told him to. Well, for them, their whole worldview was baked in that everyone in Nineveh was so wrong that God was never gonna forgive them, so why even go? They're my enemies. I'm not going over there. So when Jonah refused, it was a deep, seated worldview and focus inside of his life that they're so bad. I would never go over there. And so God, Jonah tells God, no, runs the other direction. And after a brief detour inside the belly of a fish, Jonah repents and God gives him a second chance. We're going to come back to that. Interestingly, God didn't call someone else. He said, I'll give you another chance, Jonah. And then when Jonah finally goes to Nineveh, I think of this moment like he's got this major speech that's just beautiful. The best message ever given. Here's the only thing recorded in scripture that Jonah said. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's his whole message. No love, no grace. Just listen. In 40 days, God's coming for you. That's all he could muster. Because he's like like a, a a reluctant prophet pursuing a relentless God. And he doesn't want what God wants to do for Nineveh. So he didn't even give it his all. And to Jonah's surprise, Nineveh repents, turns from their evil, and God shows mercy to the city. And that's where the Jesus Storybook Bible ends. Why? Because it's a happy ending. Yay! This evil city, and God said, I'm gonna show mercy. Jonah's stoked, right? Like he did it. He did what God said. He's happy, things are good. And then we turn from chapter three, the fourth chapter of the book of Jonah, and here is what Jonah says. Here's his response to all that happened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. What, What are you doing, Jonah? You did it. God showed mercy, but to him, this all seemed wrong. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall, what I tried to not allow to happen by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah, after all this, is ticked. You know what haunts me about this story? It haunts me. It looked like Jonah saw everything right. He knew and saw God's truth right. He knew from a young age. He studied scripture from a young age. He would have been trained in the Torah. Listen, he knew right from wrong. It looked like he knew God's character right. He even says it in the scripture. You're gracious, compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. He saw God correctly. And then he actually saw Nineveh right. They were an evil and wicked people. He saw that right But then in Jonah 4.1, he says, this seems very wrong. He looked at God and thought, God was wrong. So something's not right. See, here's what I think. Jonah was focusing on the wrong things, and so it looked like God was wrong. See, when your eyes and your focus go towards the wrong things, God will look wrong to you. His focus was so much on, I'm right. My people are right. Israel is right. We deserve God's mercy. And all of them out there, they're wrong, they're bad, they're evil. They don't deserve God's mercy. Jonah was so set in his ways of seeing the world, he couldn't see that he too was wrong. And he needed God's grace. Listen, in the story, God gave Jonah the very thing Jonah didn't want God to give Nineveh, a second chance. When Jonah ran, God could have been like, and lightning bolt, right? Like, he didn't. He could have. He's God. And what did God do? He gave Jonah a second chance. You see, long before Israel was taken into captivity at the hands of an evil nation, they were held captive by the way they viewed the world. It's a dangerous thing. The story of Jonah is thus a warning for Israel and now a warning for our church and God's church. Listen, you can be held captive by the way you see the world. I'm wrong. And you're right. Nope, I'm right, and you're wrong, right? That's a dangerous place to sit. And I think that there are two things that God would speak to us. And I'm going to warn you, I'm stepping on everybody's toes today. So when you feel like I step on your toes, just know I stepped on your neighbor's on the last point, okay? So it's like this equal offensive sort of teaching today. Here's the two places that I think the Israelites and Jonah were were stuck, they were held captive to the way they see the world is this. Their hypocrisy and their heresy. His hypocrisy and his heresy were captivating this whole nation and it messed them up and it is what ultimately led to their fall. And I think God wants to talk to us today, 2022, about those same two things. And just in case you think that this was an isolated issue in the Old Testament, I wanna read how Jesus addressed this same issue in the New Testament, thus talking to us here and now. Hypocrisy and heresy. So here's the scripture, Matthew 7. Here's how Jesus talks about this thought. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What's Jesus getting at? Listen, you're focusing on the wrong thing, church. All you can see is the speck in their eye, and you're missing the plank shooting out of your own. I love that Jesus uses pictures like that, because pictures help us see it. And I want to play with a, a picture with us today. This will be, a, hopefully, an overarching picture that will help us understand what Jesus is saying. Who knows what these are? Good job, binoculars. And these are the most aggressive binoculars. Like, I'm not trying to see, like, Canada from here, but I feel like I could. Uh, Maybe 18 months, two years ago, my son Luke bought a pair of binoculars, not like this, but bought a pair of binoculars at a yard sale. So he got them for a couple bucks. He was stoked and, like... When you get something new as a kid, you don't share quickly, right? Am I right? Like, it's like, this is mine for a while. I'm not going to share. So he's just looking through his binoculars going, ooh, and ah, this is so cool. And Lincoln, my youngest son's going, when's my turn? So finally, Luke, let him have a turn. And here, he handed them to Lincoln, and here's what Lincoln did. <laughs> and Lincoln's going, what was all the hustle and bustle about? This is silly. I can't, everything looks so small. What do you, and eventually, we realize what he's doing, and we're like, okay, son, how about... This And he went, okay, this is what I'm talking about. Here's the point. When you look this way through binoculars, it magnifies what you're focusing on. It makes something small over there, big right here. When you look this way through binoculars, it minimizes what you're focused on. The thing that could be right here, that looks about 40 feet away right now. That's the point. Here's, here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. The the thing you choose to focus on can determine the way you see the world. And and here's what got messed up in Jonah, and the people of Israel, and probably you and I. See, the first thing they were stuck in was hypocrisy. And I want to define hypocrisy for us. Here's how, how I define it. Hypocrisy magnifies other people's wrong and minimizes your own. Let me do it binoculars. Here's what hypocrisy does. When you do wrong... I see it huge right in front of me in living color. There it is. And then when I do wrong, I go, it's not that big a deal. Look how small that thing is. I didn't really do that. That's hypocrisy. And when you live that way, when you see the world that way, you're justified in saying, I'm right and you're wrong. To Jonah could not see his own sin. He wanted God to judge Nineveh's sin because he looked at it and said it's huge. And then when he said, look at my sin, it's real small, God. I don't need to be judged. This is a dangerous way to live. And church, I would bet you a $1,000 that hypocrisy lives somewhere in your world. You go, listen, I would never say that. I don't magnify other people's sins and minimize my own. Yeah, we're just smarter about how we do it. Let me tell you how we play with it today. Here's how we do it. We judge others by their actions and judge ourselves by our intentions. Don't pretend you don't. I do. When I'm in traffic and you cut me off... I need bigger binoculars. Like, I need this big. Like, you jerk. How selfish can you be? You knew the lane was ending 3,000 yards ago. Why are you swerving in right now? How dare you? And then when I'm late to work or late to a meeting and I cut someone off, it's not that, what are we talking about? It's not that big a deal. Listen, I didn't mean to be mean. I wasn't trying to be, I know my heart and I was being nice. How dare you? And the guy behind me, Throwing up the binoculars, going, what are you doing, jerk? This is what we do. Listen, your spouse leaves the the dirty dishes in the sink, and you walk in there, and you got this thing magnified. It's like glowing like plutonium in the sink. You selfish jerk. Do you think, do you think that I had nothing better to do tonight after all that I did than to do dishes after the kids go to bed? Who do you think you are? Then you do it. It's like three plates. I mean... (laughs) And I actually rinse them. They're not, the food's not stuck on it. Listen, I had a busy debt. I know my heart. I'm right. Don't pretend. Listen, coworkers, bosses, roommates, friends, fellow students in class. We judge other people based on their actions, what they actually do, and we judge ourselves based on our intentions, what we meant to do. Let me crawl up in your world because this is primary week. Whatever news channel you watch, I don't care which one it is. They judge their side of the aisle based on their rhetoric and the other side of the aisle based on their results. How can both news channels say the other person's wrong? What they're focused on? When you judge your side by our rhetoric, I want to do better. And you judge the other side of what they've done. You've done nothing. Church, don't get messed up in this in the season. Don't get messed up. This is what hypocrisy does. See, my kids do this. Whenever your kid comes to tattle, what are they going to tell you? My brother just about killed me. It was so bad and this. And parents, what do you ask? What did you do? And this is how they say it. I mean, it was, I might, I might have stole the toy out of their hand and pushed them down. Well, dummy, like that's, you, you did it, you deserved it. That's how the world works. You think this is a kid's problem. It ain't. This is where we live, and relationships cannot withstand the weight of hypocrisy. Your marriage might be in a rough spot. Because you see everything they do wrong with a 10x magnification and you see everything you do wrong a million miles away in just a tiny speck and maybe just maybe God wants to free us from that church be careful God might want to fix what you're focused on but there's another extreme in this I mean, make the other side of the room mad. There's, there's the hypocrisy over here. I, I, I look at your stuff, as super bad. Mine's real small, real small. And here's the other side. When you get sick of the hypocrisy that does exist, oftentimes you drift to the other extreme, and that's heresy, which means false teachings, believing something that's not true. And here's what heresy says. It minimizes what God calls right and wrong and magnifies our justifications, which lets you say, I'm right and God's wrong. If we're playing out the binoculars, here's what it does. It it minimizes what God, like God said, do this, don't do that. And you're like, yeah, that's not that big of a deal from the way I see it. And then you look at yourself and go, listen, I've got all these reasons why I should do what I'm doing, even if God says it's wrong. Guys, put Matthew 7 back up there. I want you to look. I'm not going to read the whole thing again. You get to look for yourself. Anywhere in this story does Jesus excuse or dismiss the junk in either person's eye? No. Nowhere in that passage does Jesus give the, either side of this thing permission to go, let's be honest, the stuff in your eye, the sin in your life, no big deal. Jesus never dismisses it. In fact, he says, clean it up. Jesus doesn't give permission to say, there's no, listen, I know that God said, don't do this, and you have sin, which is the speck in your eye, and the plank in your eye, and there's sin in there, but just dismiss it. I I don't need to worry about that. See, what what heresy says is that we'll all pretend that none of us have junk in our eye. I know God says that this is sin, and if you're here, then you're living in sin, but what, what heresy says is, listen, let's just, you and I both agree I got a plank, you got a speck. Let's just both agree neither one of us have stuff in our eye. And it's a dangerous way to live. It comes out like this. I have my truth and you have your truth. Therefore, we ignore God's truth. Listen, I, I'm not saying this to be the town the pulpit, How the sin of your life. I'm saying this because I care. And I'm saying this because it's the truth. If I didn't love you, I'd tell you stuff to make you happy all the time. Hey, you don't have sin. You're awesome. Everything's perfect. That feels so much better for me. You would like me way more. I'm not saying this because I want you to like me. I'm saying this because I want you to know how God sees things. Listen, Jonah minimized God's command to go to Nineveh. Why? Because he justified his reason to not follow God. God, the Ninevites are evil people. They've attacked our country. They've treated us so bad. Surely, God, I don't have to listen to what you told me to do. He made a justification. He justified himself. He minimized the command God gave him and magnified the justification that he had. And now he could say, what looks right to you, God, is actually right for me. The last two words of that sentence are probably the two most dangerous words in our culture right now. For me. When truth can be twisted based on your circumstances and justifications, that's a terrifying thought, church. Listen, what looks wrong to you is actually right for me. My kids, I only hit him because he hit me. Yeah, but is violence and hitting ever okay? Like, what are we talking about here? You go, listen, I know God says... Having an affair is wrong. It's sinful. But do you know how he's treated me over these years? He's been distant. She's been distant. She's not been there for me. He's not been there for me. God surely can't mean my situation. Listen, if you can justify it, you can call your wrong right for me. You say, listen, God, I know you say don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. But surely you didn't mean I shouldn't cheat on my taxes. Here's my justification, God. They're so wasteful. They spend it wrong. So the wrong they did to me justifies my wrong back. See, it's dangerous when you use other people's wrongs to justify your own. And listen, church, I'm watching us drift in this. I know, God, you said love God and love others, but you didn't mean on the internet, right? You, you didn't mean on social media. God, do you know what, they, what their stand is on this, on this issue? Or do you know who they voted for, God? I have a right. It, it might look wrong to you, but it's right because they wronged me. And this cycle is killing us as a nation. This cycle will kill you in your marriage, in your family, in your friendships, inside of your relationships. And listen, inside the church, we've got to be better than this. When someone comes to you and has their list of justifications as to why it's going to be okay for them to break the rules that God set up, God's law, when they come with the justification of why they think they should be able to sin, your role is not to be soft because that feels loving. I get it. Let's just be soft and say, I get it, girl. I'm with you, girl. I get it, bro. I get why you do that. Your job is to say, listen, I love you, but dude, be careful. Your circumstances don't change God's truth. That's a scary way to live. A church, a family, a marriage, friendships, any relationship held captive by hypocrisy or heresy will eventually fall just like Israel did. And what we taught the last two weeks, Isaiah and Daniel, came as a result of the seeds planted of hypocrisy. I'm right, and you're wrong. And heresy, I'm right, and God, you must be wrong. Those things destroy any relationship. But here is what Jesus says about how you break free from those two things that might be holding you captive. He says this in Matthew 18. Jesus called a little child over to him. He had the child stand among them. Jesus said, what I'm about to tell you is true. You need to change and become like little children. If you don't, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Anyone who takes the humble, say that word with me, humble position of this child is the most important in the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus is saying the antidote for hypocrisy and heresy is humility. And why? Here's what humility says. Humility owns my own wrongs, and it magnifies God's grace, which lets us say, I'm wrong, and you're wrong. But Jesus can make us both right. Like, that's the message of the gospel. In the plank Eye story, they were both wrong, and only Jesus can make them right again. See, the, 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 the message of the gospel says this. It sort of puts us between these two thoughts that hold in tension. In Psalm 130, verse 3, it says, If you, O Lord, kept a record of wrongs, who could stand? If God had his binoculars out looking at every second of your life, his notebook would be full, wouldn't it? You don't have to raise your hands, but get honest to God. None of us have a leg to stand on. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of wrongs, I got nothing to stand on. And then equally, that's why the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5, 1-2. We have been made right with God. You are not right, you are wrong, and so am I. But we have been made right with God because of our faith. Now we have peace with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus, we have received God's grace. In that grace, we stand. If you, O Lord, kept a record of wrongs, I got no leg to stand on. But in the grace of God, that is what I can stand on. And that's why humility is the antidote to what keeps you captive in hypocrisy and in heresy. Because listen, I can't take credit for me being made right with God. Do you know what separates Christianity from every religion on the earth? See, I could list everything, Buddhism, Hinduism, Sikhism, secular humanism, even modern-day Judaism, and they all teach, work harder, get better, and you may get rewarded. That's the message. Their message is work, work, get better, work harder, try harder, be better, clean yourself up, make yourself right. And the stumbling block of Christianity that says this, we can't get right, we need a rescuer. God gave us that in the person of Jesus. Jesus says, you can't do anything good enough to appease God, but Jesus has on the cross. And he will forgive you and give you everlasting life based on his work, not yours. All our response is, is to own our sin before God and in faith, bow your life to him. In other words, Christianity does not leave room for the pride of hypocrisy or to hold the lies of heresy. Those things are held in tension. I have no pride because I didn't do anything to fix me. I don't get to lessen the standard that God set because that's the standard we'll all be judged by. And God invites us as a church, listen, followers of Jesus should be the most humble people on the planet. Because when you see the grace that God's poured out, if you could see the grace that God poured out in your life. See, when Nineveh bowed and they said, God, forgive us of our sin. God gave them mercy. And here's what that means. Mercy is God withheld what they deserved, which was judgment and destruction. That's a beautiful thing. But after Jesus, he adds to mercy his grace. And what's grace? Mercy is God withheld what you did deserve, the bad you deserved. Grace is God gave us what we didn't deserve. We didn't deserve the righteousness of Christ. We didn't deserve the relationship back with him because we're all a mess. I own my own sin, but I magnify the grace of God. When I look at God, I look at him through the binoculars and the size of grace that he has for us is unparalleled. And listen, if just the church, just the church would live this way, We could break the cycle of what's going on relationally across this country, across the church, in your marriage, in your family, in your friendships, if you would embrace the humility that the gospel demands. It would change everything. We don't have to hypocritically hold people to higher standards than ourselves. And equally, we, we can call, humbly call people up to the standards of God because the grace of God is the only leg any of us have to stand on at the end the pastors will stand up and pray this over you but listen what are you focusing on what are you choosing to magnify and minimize we all have a bent you either lean towards hypocrisy self-righteous or you lean towards heresy more the self-deceived I can just make my own you lean one way or the other you better know which way you lean listen it's so easy to drift into hypocrisy even subtly living like you're better than whoever your them is looking at someone else and saying how dare they do fill in the blank while you're blind to your own sin your prayer is God I repent of my sin forgive me and easily it's equally it's so easy to drift into heresy even subtly acting like you know better than God You might never say those words, but you might subtly act that out in your life. Acting like God will drop his standards if you have a good enough reason. If someone hurts you enough, you can do wrong back and God will lower his standards. Your prayer is, God, I return to your truth. God, correct me. And oh God, would the truth of the gospel produce a humble dependence in this church? See, if you believe that you are responsible for the forgiveness that God gave you. I pray that the Spirit of God would correct that view inside of you today and that God would free you up inside of relationships, inside this world to freely love and serve people in humility because you're not better than anyone. You just met someone who is better, which is Jesus. The only reason I have a leg to stand on is because of Jesus or a bunch of beggars showing another beggar where to get bread. And listen, before I turn the service to the pastors, you need to understand why this is so important, because people are watching. Church, we make a claim about the person of Jesus, and the way we live, people are watching it, and they're quietly deciding and making conclusions about the Jesus we claim. We're getting back into all the election junk. You can win an election and lose your soul. You can win an election and lose your witness. You can win an election and lose your relationships. Specifically today, the next generation is watching us, church. And the conversation I'm about to have specifically to graduating seniors, y'all get to listen in on. But part of my role at this church is I have to speak to things that we've all created and I want to talk to graduating seniors and I want to have the, a very similar conversation that my dad had with me in the summer between my high school graduation and me going to college. And this was one of the most life-giving conversations I've ever had in my life. he had to give me two things he had to give me freedom and responsibility and the conversation my dad had with me I want to have with you graduating seniors allow me to read it because I crafted these words specifically for you I don't want to miss anything and my disposition towards you is humble and my intent is to give you freedom and responsibility so spirit of God I pray that you would give those two things to these seniors would they hear this right so graduating seniors Christians are people, and people are not perfect, which means the church is not perfect. Don't misunderstand me. I love the church, but it's not perfect. So if there's any place that your church here at Twelve Stone has given you baggage, or the church across America has let you down, I am not blind to the headlines. I see it too, but I want to give you permission and freedom to lay that baggage down and not carry it anymore. If you've seen the hypocrisy or you've felt people carry the title of Christian in ways that Jesus would call wrong, please forgive them and then set that baggage down and walk in freedom. We don't expect you to carry our junk into the next season of your life. But I would caution you not to connect the baggage that church people might have given you back to Jesus. Jesus didn't give you baggage, people did. So leave the baggage behind, not Jesus and his church. I want you to feel freedom in that. Secondly, I want you to hear responsibility. Graduating seniors, you now have the responsibility to decide who you will bow your life to and what you will build your life on. And you're entering a world that will likely help you justify anything you want to do and agree to call it right. Don't deceive yourself and believe that God will just agree with whatever you call right. Do not allow any hurts or wounds from any church or any person in the church to justify your dismissal of God's love for you or the gift of his truth meant to guide your life. Be slow to dismiss the teachings of Jesus. And I want to remind you that just because you're graduating doesn't mean we aren't still your church. We want to walk alongside you as you wrestle down this responsibility to seek truth. There isn't now an expectation that you're complete as a follower of Jesus as you graduate high school. We're still in this journey with you. You just carry more of the ownership in your journey, stepping into adulthood. And seniors, that's why we're going to close today at your campuses. By grabbing a name of every graduating senior, we're committing as your church to pray over you in this next season as you get to make decisions about who you will bow your life to and what you will build your life on. And any place that you feel like we've given you baggage, set it down, but don't set down Jesus. And church, they have been watching, they will be watching. The kids we had up here in K-12, they're now watching. I pray that God would root out hypocrisy in all of us I pray that God would correct heresy in any of us and that we would be a church that's known by our humble dependence on the grace of God. So pastors, will you pray that into the life of our church today?